Today, we're going to be in Psalms. We're going to be in the book of Psalms. Oh, but before I go any further, there's a handout in your bulletin. Put that away. Like, tuck it in a different page in your Bible. Sit on it. Don't let it be a... I don't want it to distract you yet. Uh, We'll come back to that in a second. So, it's there for you, but just not yet. Okay. We all did that. I can hear it. Hear it happening. Good. We're going to be in Psalms. Um... And Psalms, as you may know, is classified as a book in the Bible that is poetic literature. How many of you enjoy poetry? A few. Yeah, half and half. I uh, have a turbulent relationship with poetry that goes back to my elementary school days. Um, Poetry and I did not get along. And I can pin it down to one experience. I'm going to tell you this story. This one experience that just ruined poetry for me. And it's... Two things you have to know before I tell the story. My name, my last name, puts me at the end of almost every list and everything. So I am usually last, and I was especially last in school on just anything there. And then uh, I did not like public speaking. I was the most shy person you would have ever met. Public speaking to me was just being in public and talking out loud. I I did not like it. (laughs) I was quiet all the time. So those two things, my name and I did not like public speaking. I went to a school, elementary school, uh, that was, uh, had an annual poetry contest. Uh, it was a K through, uh, kindergarten through 12th grade school, and so every student had to participate, no matter what. You had to memorize a poem, and then you had to present said poem. In second grade, I, uh, so second grade, you don't really pick your poem. The teacher prints off a bunch of copies of different poems and then hands them out. This is number one where my name came back to haunt me. I'm at the end of that list. So the first person got to pick the poem they wanted, and I got the scraps at the very end. <laughs> and in second grade, you're not caring about you know, the quality of the poem. You're looking for the shortest poem. <laughs> and so I, being at the end, didn't get that choice. I get stuck with this poem about Daniel Boone, <laughs> which was kind of long. So I go home, and I'm memorizing it for weeks. Um, my mom, who's here today, Oh, by the way, happy pre-Mother's Day. I won't be here next Sunday. Happy Mother's Day. Um, My mom saw that I was nervous about this poem, and so she uh, tells me this last line. I still to this day don't know any lines except for uh, the last line, which was more elbow room for Daniel Boone. And she said, why don't you throw in this little move right here to, you know, score some positive points with the judges and to show that you're comfortable on stage. So my last line I'm standing, I'm supposed to say, more elbow room, said Daniel Boone. (laughs) The day comes for this at school, and there's like a qualification. Your class would go out to the auditorium, and one by one, that happens. And the final three go on to the poetry day. Um, so the day comes where our second grade class gets dismissed to the auditorium and there's a judge out far back because you have to project and so he's out in the middle of the auditorium and one by one the class, my classmates go up and give their poems. Again, my last name comes back to haunt me and I am last. The class period ends, everyone's heading back and I had not gone yet. Now if I had just kept quiet, my relationship with poetry would probably have been a lot better but instead, I raise my hand, and I say, teacher, I haven't gone yet. And he applauds, oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, go ahead and go up on stage. But now, my classmates are gone, and it's just me and this judge, one-on-one, <laughs> in this huge auditorium, and I am terrified. This is, like, my worst nightmares are coming true about public speaking, and I have to say my poem in front of this judge. So I find my spot, center of stage, and I get in the attention position, and I'm giving my poem, 
And I kid you not, two lines in, he says, thank you very much, you can head back to class. And (laughs) I'm thinking, I don't think I was that good that after two lines, I qualified for the next round. So I was probably pretty bad. And so I didn't qualify. And I'm thinking, man, if only I'd seen my elbow move, that might have pushed me over the edge to be in the next round. After that, second grade and on, I, poetry and I, I just didn't like it. It uh, brought back some harsh memories. But I've come back around, and one of those things was the Psalms. The Psalms has helped me to love poetry, uh, poetic literature. Uh, It's classified as this in the Bible because of all the figurative language and imagery that is used, and it paints beautiful pictures, and it's so creative and provokes these emotions that are just are just wonderful. And so uh, Psalms, uh, the book of Psalms, has become one of my favorite books of the Bible. I've gone through it several times, and uh, I'm so happy to be preaching from it today. So we are going to be in Psalm 23, which is one of the most popular psalms. I'm sure all of you are well acquainted with this psalm. So let me read it, and then we'll dive in. Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for our time together this morning as a church, as a community, as for the cause of Christ. Um, And as we gather this morning, I pray that our hearts would be open to the truth found in the Bible, God. God, we're thankful that your word is powerful. It's not just informative, but it's transformative. Um, God, it, it goes straight to our hearts, and I pray that this morning that, that would be the case, that as we hear your word, as we hear about the truth of who you are and what you do for us, God, that we would be comforted um, and that our hearts would be transformed. So we give this time to you. We acknowledge that you are the great, great God who is above all else. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. All right, this morning I want to do something a little different. Like I said, you guys are pretty familiar with Psalm 23, so I want to approach it in a, in a different way. Um, and what I want to do is kind of take a walk down memory lane, uh, the memory lane of David. David, who wrote this psalm, I want to take a look at why he wrote, he wrote what he wrote in Psalm 23. What experiences was, was he referring to? What were the things that were going on in his life um, that as he was writing this, he's recalling with God? So that's what we're going to do. Does that sound good? Is that okay? Okay, good, good. I want to go verse by verse and just look back into David's life. Verse 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd. Actually, we're going to stop right there. Shepherd, uh, you guys know this is a big deal in the Bible. Shepherd, uh, the word shepherd is uh, used to describe uh, God, uh, leaders. Uh, God is referred to as a shepherd here in the Old Testament by David. Jesus, who is Lord, who is God, is referred to as a shepherd in the New Testament. 
Uh, in John 10, he's a good shepherd. Uh, in Hebrews, he is a great shepherd. And then in 1 Peter, Jesus is referred to as the chief shepherd. So God, as we know, and as David is saying, is our shepherd. Uh, it's also the Bible uses shepherd for other leaders. In the Old Testament, uh, Moses and David were shepherds and shepherds over people. And then in the New Testament, uh, elders and pastors are referred to as shepherds leading uh, God's church. So this idea of shepherd and leading is, is constant throughout the word of God. And, and David is talking about it here. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So uh, I was asking, so what is David, what's David referring to here? Well, I think the memory that he may be drawing from goes to the very first moment that we're introduced to David in the Bible. And that's back in 1 Samuel 16. You don't have to turn there. We'll, we're going to be in 1 Samuel a lot because that's where David's life happens. But 1 Samuel 16, we're introduced to David because at that time, uh, Samuel, who is a prophet of Israel, is appointed by God to go find the new king. Right? Saul is the first king of Israel, and he started off great, but then it was all downhill from there. And so God's saying, hey, I want a new king for my people. Samuel, my man, go find this new person. So Samuel goes to the house of Jesse, and Samuel says, Jesse, I'm looking for the new king. Bring out all your sons. And all the sons come out, and Samuel says, no, no, eh, no, 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 no. Is there, is there anyone else? And uh, Jesse says, yeah. There's my son, David, who's in the field tending the sheep. So from the very beginning, and David's really young, we know that he's a shepherd. It's a, it's a part of who he is. It's part of his identity. And not only is he a shepherd, but he's a pretty good shepherd. Right? In, in 1 Samuel 17, right before he's fighting Goliath, he is uh, explaining to Saul why he can do this. Everyone, you know, you guys remember the story of Goliath, um, Israel's too terrified. There's no one in all of Israel who wants to go fight Goliath. And this teenage boy comes up and says, I can do it. And Saul's, I just imagine a teenage boy coming up to us today, and we would all just dismiss him immediately and say, you have no idea what you're talking about. And David's like, no, 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 I can do this. I got this. Let me tell you why. Uh, when I'm being a shepherd, I have slain bears and lions before. I feel like that's like a, one cent, that's like a really small part of the Bible, but it blows my mind every time I read it, because um, I can't relate at all. There's no way that I would slay a bear and a lion. Uh, if I was a shepherd and I saw a bear, I would lead my sheep by running away. I'd say, follow me. We're out of here. Let's go. And if it happened again, it says bears and lions. This has apparently happened multiple times to David. If it happened again, I wouldn't even say, I was like, sheep, you know what's happening. We're out of here. I can't do this. But he's saying to Saul, I can slay this giant. I've done it before. Bears and lions, they don't scare me. I've killed them to protect my sheep. I'll do the same for you, Israel. So we know he's a great, great shepherd. And he has slain bears and lions. Uh, when I went to college, I had a job uh, TAing for a soccer coach, for a soccer class. It was PE. And the coach, who was a longtime coach of the university, retired, and he just really enjoyed teaching sports on his free time. And so he taught soccer. And I was his assistant, and every semester, without fail, he would give this speech called the School of Bear and Lion. 
And PE in college is like PE in high school. It's times, no one wants to do it. You just have to do it for credit. So there's these students signing up who are just here to kick a ball and get by, and he's motivating them with all of his passion and energy about the school of Bear and Lion, talking about how David uses courage and bravery and strength. And it's the first day of class, and on there is, you know, sign liability waiver, check in your name, school of Bear and Lion. And all these students are coming, and they're hearing this, like, rally cry to go, go play soccer with all your strength. And then they go out there and kick the ball. And I, I just kind of laugh, but I love that he taps into that courage and strength and bravery that a shepherd has. Usually when we think of shepherds shepherding sheep in the Bible, we're thinking of the care and the tenderness and the uh, gentleness of a shepherd with their sheep. But they also uh, have incredible strength and bravery and courage. So I think David is referring to that, and he's thinking upon his memories and through verse 1 and 3, and then in verse 4, he's taking that courage and strength with him into the next stage of his life. And verse 4 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So what memory is David talking about when writing this verse? What's he, what's he looking back to in his own life? And I think, maybe, uh, he's talking about being on the run. David uh, had some pretty rough times. After he, Samuel came to, to Jesse and his family and said, hey, you're the one, uh, it wasn't immediately that he was king. Saul was still king. And at first, David slays the giant, and things are great. Saul's like, oh, you're an awesome kid. Hey, I have a son about the same age. Why don't you guys be best friends? Uh, and it, life is great. And then things get, something turns in Saul. His heart just hardens. And he becomes paranoid, and he's out to kill David. He's out to kill him. And so David, uh, or Jonathan, has this conversation in 1 Samuel 21. Jonathan is Saul's son and best friends with David. And Jonathan's asking his dad, Saul, Saul, Dad, why are you trying to kill David? He's done nothing against you. And Saul just won't have any of it. Throws a spear at his own son just to say, look, I'm going to kill David. I'm out for him. I... I'm just going to do it. And so Jonathan goes, and he's got to warn David. And Jonathan, they have this secret communication with bows and arrows, which I think is awesome. And I was thinking, like, Wayne, you and I should get some secret communication <laughs> where from my office downstairs, if you just see an arrow come sticking up, it's like, it's lunchtime. Let's go. Um, but Jonathan signals David, and he's saying, hey, you got to meet up. And they meet up, and you got to understand, like, these are the best, these are best friends. These are, the Bible says that their hearts were knit together. That's how close they were. And they're embracing and saying this goodbye because they know that it's never going to be the same. You have to leave. We're not going to see each other anymore, really. And so these best friends are having this embrace, and David leaves. And David leaves to enemy territory. He's got to flee the country. And then even when he gets to enemy territory, he's got to act crazy, mentally uh, insane, so, so that the other country will have pity on him and won't kill him. So he's not only in his own country, he's in another country, and uh, then they, even after doing that, they still want to kill him. And so he's on the run, and he's hiding in caves. He's got nowhere to go. He's got enemy on this side, his own people. He's got enemy on this side, the other people. And yet he says, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. That's just incredible. That is absolutely incredible. I think that's a loneliness that 
I haven't experienced to that depth where I have nowhere to turn. No one is with me and where I'm at. And yet he's saying, God was with me. I felt the comfort of God. You were there with me, Lord, in my darkest times. Then we go to verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And I'll stop right there. And I think... I think this is a, David is recalling a very special moment with God in this verse. These are just my thoughts. Uh, I, I don't know what David is thinking when he writes this psalm. But what if it's this moment in 1 Samuel um, 21, I believe. Yes. Right after he said goodbye to Jonathan, he's on the run. He's on the run in his own country, and he's hungry. He's fleeing, and he's got no food. And he comes across this priest of the tabernacle. And he's saying, priest, I'm starving, I'm hungry, feed me some food. And the priest says, I got nothing. All I've got is the holy bread. And the holy bread is the bread of God. That's the bread that was specially made for the tabernacle, tabernacle being the tent, the temporary house of God. That's where God dwelled. Uh, dwelled. And so he's saying, all I've got is the holy bread. And the holy bread like I said, it was specially made. It would go into the tabernacle for a while. It would come back out. And when it came back out, only the priests could eat it. And they had to eat it in a, uh, a holy place. But he's offering this to David, saying, all I got is the holy bread. And David said, I'll take it. And so David gets to partake. He gets to partake of this bread, this bread that is God's. He gets to eat God's food. And this bread, when it was in the tabernacle, sat on a very special table. It sat on God's table. So when I read this, and I'm I'm thinking back to David's story, what if David is writing this psalm saying, God, remember that time when I was on the run from Saul, and I was hungry, and you fed me? And you got, I got to eat at the same table that you eat, that, that that's your table? We shared a meal together? Do you remember that, God? Thank you for providing for me, even when my enemies were after me. Verse 5 continues, You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. I think this goes back to 1 Samuel 16. David is that moment when Samuel came to his town, came to Jesse, and Samuel anointed him with oil. And I think he's just saying, God, I remember that you called me. You anointed me. And that looks different. We're, We're all called today, but back then, that was very special, to be anointed to be king The king's job was to model um, for his nation what it meant to be uh, following God's way of life. So the king would model that. Israel's purpose, the nation of Israel, was then to follow that example and model uh, following God to the rest of the world. They were supposed to be that, and they failed. But that's what they were supposed to be. So so David is supposed to model this... um, as king following God. And does, not, not, does that uh, not sound familiar to our call today? Are we not called and anointed to follow God and to be a representative to the rest of the world what it means to follow God, what it means to love him? And in a moment of honesty, when you look at your own life, uh, are you today being a good representative of God? Are you being that light, um, that model of following God to the rest of the world? 
It was a heart check for me when I was studying this passage. But David is looking back, starting from the moment he was anointed to when he's writing, thinking, man, God, since that moment, although I have no idea when he wrote this, but sometime in the future, when that moment that you called me till now, you've, you've done a lot. You've brought me a long ways. You have done so much in my life and uh, through me, God. That's amazing. And I think that's an encouragement to us, too, to kind of take some time, pause, and look back. And from the moment that God called you, many of you have that time in your life, that moment that you can think of where God called you, you've ever paused and just thought, man, since that moment, God, you've done so much. You've done a ton. And my cup overflow, that's David saying, and it's more than I could have imagined. Probably not the way I would have drawn it up, God, being on the run for all those years and having uh, people trying to kill me from both sides. But nevertheless, God, you're still amazing. It's more than I could have ever thought of. And I think that, too, is something that we can say. Despite where you're at, um, maybe you're in one of those valleys of the shadow of death right now, but hopefully you can still look back and see, man, God, you've done so much. It's incredible. My cup overflows. And then we come to verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And now David is no longer looking back, but he's looking forward to the future that he gets to have with God. And I just think of like David on the run, and, being, and he's maybe writing this thinking, man, I've had a very transient life, God. I've been all over the place, and I finally get to have a house, and I get to be with you for forever. That is going to be great. That is going to be so, so good. And then he says, or he starts with, I went out of order. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. I think he's writing this with like a tinge of remorse. And then this overwhelming, it's made sweet by the depths of God's love. The remorse in this statement, I'm kind of reading in between the lines. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. I think the only remorse, remorse is that he is a sinner. He knows he sins. He knows that he fails. He messes up. And so he needs that goodness and that mercy to follow him. And he knows he's not going to stop sinning. He knows that, hey, before I die, I'm going to sin some more. I'm going to fail. I'm going to mess up. But I know, God, that your forgiveness, your, your goodness and mercy are right there behind me to love me and to care for me. All right. How are we doing? we doing okay? We just went through all of Psalm 23. That was a lot. We went through Psalm 23, attempting to get into the mind of David and just say, what, 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 what was David thinking when he wrote this psalm? What are the memories he's drawing from? And hopefully now, man, there's a little bit more life to it. I'm seeing the poetry that David's writing with and the figurative language, and man, Psalm 23, that's good. So let me review really quickly. Uh, the eight things that I see, there's, there's tons in here. There's probably way more than eight things, but the eight things that stick out as to how uh, God is David's shepherd. This is how God directly relates to David. This is how he's a shepherd to David. Number one, God makes David lie down in green pastures. Two, he leads him beside still waters. Three, he restores David's soul. Four, God leads him in paths of righteousness. Five, God is with him, even in the valleys of the shadow of death. Six, God provides for him and sustains him by setting a table for him. Seven, he, God anointed David to beyond what he could have imagined. And, and eight, God has a place for him in heaven. Okay, this is good. This is how God is to David. But what about us? What about us today? 
What about those of us in this room who are not David? Um, that's all of us. And life's a little different. Maybe we're not in David's spot. Um, and so right now, I just, I'm going to ask some questions. And I want you to respond to yourself. Don't say anything out loud. Don't raise your hand or anything like that. But just think, how would you answer these questions? In fact, it might help if you guys just kind of bowed your heads and just look, look down to reflect. Uh, if you want to close your eyes, that's fine. Because I, I want to see what's going on in this room. I want you guys to think about, where am I at right now? What's going on in this room? How many of you, just to yourself, how many of you have felt discouraged this past month? Just be thinking, like, have you felt discouraged this past month? How about this past week? How many of you have felt discouraged this past week? How many of you have felt stressed or anxious and just life gets overwhelming? And thinking to yourself again, how many of you are dealing with, with brokenness in your life? Maybe it's a broken relationship with someone else. Maybe it's even a broken marriage. Just things aren't what you thought they would be. How many of you are dealing with sickness or some kind of health issue or someone close to you is? How many of you are dealing with, with heartache? Maybe the loss of a loved one. Or maybe someone you love has turned their back on God. We're going to get real here. How many of you are or know someone who is dealing with depression and that darkness that just makes everything good seem improbable? How many of you are or know someone who is dealing with suicidal thoughts? They just have no hope. There's, it's hopeless and there's no way forward for them. How many of you in this room are dealing with the nagging, dragging you down, weighing you down, awful, terrible sin in life? Just won't leave you alone. You guys can look up again. And, but I'm sure by now that I'm pretty sure that's covered everyone in this room. I'm sure everyone here has said yes to at least one, if not more, of those things. So how does Psalm 23 help us going through all those things Help us today in this room. That shepherd that's described here, that loves, that cares, that provides, that protects, it's not just for David, but it's for all of us. That shepherd, that God is our shepherd today. So let me reread those eight things, but change the perspective to you, East Parkway. Number one, God makes you rest. God makes you rest. Number two, God leads you. God restores your soul. God is with you all the time. God comforts you, each and every one of you. God comforts you. Six, God provides for you and sustains you. God has called you. God has called you, East Parkway. And eight, God has a place for you. Now let me go one step further. This is what God does for us. This is how he's a shepherd for us. But what do we do? What's our role as a sheep? What are our uh, action steps moving on from here? So let me give you the same eight things. 
made into instruction for us. All right? Number one, you need to rest. We all need to rest. We can't just keep going and going and going. Uh, We have to surrender and let God take control of our lives. Sorry, I said that out of order. Hold on. That's the next one. You need to rest. You can't, yeah, you have to take a Sabbath. You need a Sabbath. I love, even though it's a trendy thing right now, I love that Sabbath has become a verb. It's good. You, I got, people say these days, like, I got a Sabbath. It's true. You need to. We all need to rest. God modeled that for us. We need to do it too. Take, take a Sabbath. Rest. Rest in the Lord. Number two, you need to follow. You're not in control. You have to surrender and let God be the one in control of your life. So he leads. So that means we follow. Number three, uh, seek God's restoration. And two simple ways, be in God's word as often as possible. Be in here and, and read it and get to know who God is and let your heart be restored by the truth and transforming power of his truth. And, and then um, surrender and let God be in control of your life. And pr- oh, I'm so sorry. Guys, pray. Read the word and pray. We're, we're coming. I'm, here we go. I'm going to enlarge it so it's not so small. Number four, you're not alone. Uh, has anyone here ever felt lonely? Yes, we all have at some point. But the loneliness, I think, here when I say that you're not alone, it's not just a physical loneliness. It's not just being left by yourself. It's that deep, your heart feels like there's no one else around you that can even closely relate to you. You are completely alone in that hurt and that pain that you may be going through. And so, here to remind you or tell you that you're not alone. God is with you. He's with you in a closer way than anyone else could be. All right. Five, know that things will get tough. God comforts because we're going to be going through stuff that we need comforting for, from. We, life will be tough. We need comfort. But, so just know that. Just prepare your mind. Um, Wayne's been preaching on this for the last several weeks. The opposition will be there. God comforts because we're going to need to be comforted. Life will bring hurt and some pain. Um, and just prepare yourself for that. Number six, do not worry. Know that you'll be in need. You may be hungry. You may be short on money. Uh, you may not see how you're going to get by for the next day. But know that the Lord provides. It may not be conventional. It may not be in the way that you would draw it up. But God will provide and sustain you. Um, so do not worry. Seven, our action step, receive the call. Live in that call. You were anointed. You are called to follow Christ, to model to others what it means to follow Christ. So do it. Represent him. Model him in your living, in, in your thoughts, in, in the words that you say, how you live your life. Model Christ. And then eight, look forward to heaven. Look forward to the coming joy that is in Christ alone. Look forward to that. Don't get too bogged down with what's happening in the world in front of you, what's happening right now. Yes, that is important. Yes, that matters. But remember to always keep that eye that's looking forward to heaven. All right. These are our action steps. I want us to do these things. I want to do these things because we are sheep and God is our shepherd. So I want to follow him. We want to be um, sheep experiencing the Lord's care and protection and love. I want you guys to pull this back out. Pull this handout. 
back out. On one side, you're going to see that says Psalm 23, and it's got Psalm 23 there. This is, as we just discussed today, this is David's psalm of his experiences relating with, with God and what God's brought him through. On the other side, it says my psalm, and it's kind of Psalm 23, but it's got some blanks in there. And sometime, at a later time, don't do it right now, excuse me, but sometime, maybe later today, maybe this week, fill this out with your experiences. Fill this out with what God has brought you through. And this is just a structure that is provided. You could do this in a totally different way if you want to, but it's that idea that David wrote from his experience. What if we wrote from our experience? And so when we're saying something that is about God's provision, we're going to remember that time that God actually provided for us today in our lives. Or when God protected us, we're going to remember a time that God actually protected you, me. And so that when you have this psalm, when this is completed, or when you've written your own thing, you can read that, and it's going to mean so much because every line of it is going to be directly how God was in your life, how God was your shepherd. I had to do this for a class of mine, and I found it to be so powerful and moving, and my prayer and my hope is that it, it could be the same for you, and that it would serve as uh, a deep, real reminder of how the Lord cares for you. So I'm going to read mine. This is this is the close. I'm going to read my psalm that I wrote, and then I'll pray. God is my ever-giving shepherd, and I am His. He makes me rest, even when I think I can keep going, and I think I can accomplish more. He makes me pause and rest. He provides me true restoration and leads the way to holy Christian living, not for my own sake, but all for his glory and his kingdom. I have nothing to fear, not the opinions of others, not failures or loneliness, not even death, because God is with me, guiding me and comforting me. The Lord communes with me. He has relationship with me, even in the midst of trial and tribulation, because he has chosen me and he's called me. And there is no doubt in my mind that God's grace and mercy will be with me now and forever until I get to be with him in heaven. I know this to be absolutely true. And when I read that, even now as I was reading it to you, I... Uh, I'm recalling the way that God has done that in my life. So I hope that you can do the same and think of God as your shepherd in a new way from today on. Let's pray. God, thank you again for being our shepherd, for loving us, for protecting us, for caring for us, for giving us courage when we need courage, strength when we need strength, Mercy when we mess up and we fail. And goodness, God, when, especially when life is not good, and sometimes, God, the only good thing in our lives is you. Thank you for the work that you're doing in our lives, God. I, I pray, I pray that everyone in this room um, can do that. They can look back to when you called them and be encouraged at, to see just how far you've brought them. God, you are our shepherd. 
you walk with us, you commune with us, and we get to look forward to being with you in heaven. <laughs> so good. It's so, so good. So I pray for anyone here who just needed to be reminded of that, God. I pray that they would feel encouraged. They would feel loved. And God, we praise you and we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.